You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hi, everyone. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. Today, we're going to talk about the future of living. There is a lot happening in this space with new housing solutions and experiences and all kinds of new living communities. These projects are setting out to make a huge cultural change. Our first guest is Justine Renaudet, who is the co-founder of Colette. This is a new startup in the co-living space that matches students with seniors. We'll get a chance to explore intergenerational living with her. And in the second part, we'll look at new housing solutions and experiences. Our guests are Barbara Belvisi, founder of Interstellar Lab, who is essentially building housing solutions for Mars, and Thomas Altio, who is founder of Maya Maya, a company building completely autonomous housing units. Hi, Justine. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us, how does Colette work and what is the problem that you guys are actually trying to solve? Basically, Colette is an online platform. We connect students and young professionals with senior people above 60 years old who have a spare room to rent at home. So we really try to reinvent an old way of co-living, but still very misknown intergenerational cohabitation, basically young people living with senior people. This is super fascinating, and I'm, I'm sure you have already tons of stories to share and some crazy things that have happened. But tell me, because you guys just got started, it's still a very early stage company, what actually exists today? Yes, so uh, we are uh, currently building the platform. Uh, today we are early stage, as you, you just said, and we, we were a bit affected by the COVID period, you know, with the quarantine. We, we weren't able to create a pairs of cohabitants during this period because the senior people is a population at risk. So we, we had to stop a bit uh, our activity. But today we have like 50 uh, rooms to rent um, proposed by senior. And uh, yes, we, we, we have just created our, our first pairs of cohabitants. So we are very uh, excited and super happy. And yes, we have already a lot of uh, cool stories to share. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's super cool. Super. And so just so I really understand how it works, the senior comes with the apartment, essentially, and they're providing a space to a, a young student or someone younger that wants to rent that space. And is it a paid rent? Is it in exchange for some kind of service? What's actually the, the deal that they're getting? It's like co-location, but uh, with this uh, intergenerational aspect. And yes, the student or the young active, they have to, to be under 30 years old. They have to pay a rent. But it's really cheap compared to a classical location, for instance, in, in Paris. Um, so they pay your rent and they can do uh, some, some small services for the senior. But um, that, that's it. You know, they, they will, uh, I don't know, they will um, uh, do some, uh, um, some small tasks like cooking, uh, dining with the, the senior. But it, it, it's really not mandatory. It's a, an agreement between um, both sides. And uh, that, that's the way it is, actually. It's like co-location. I feel it's almost counterintuitive to launch a platform for this kind of thing, because are seniors even, you know, aware of uh, mobile or 
you know, web platforms that you guys have? How do you how do you go and find seniors for this kind of thing? Yes, it's a very good question. We were a bit worried, you know, at the beginning uh, with this, but surprisingly, uh, we we recruit them online. <laughs> we have run a few tests on Facebook and uh, it went super well. 75% of the hosts we recruit today through uh, Facebook, they come from the mobile. It's completely insane. So this is great news because our hosts today are connected. They, they seem really interested in what we do. I think the strength of our project too is that it generates a lot of positive word of mouth. And when we recruit a host on Colette, uh, this person talks about us to friends and family, colleagues. And this is super powerful because it really helps us to build a trusted community. What we learn also about seniors is that they really need to be reassured a lot. So when it's a friend uh, or a sister or a colleague who recommends us, it's really helpful for us. Wow, that's incredible. I never would have imagined that Facebook uh, would enable you to recruit seniors. <laughs> I guess everybody yeah, is on yeah, Facebook absolutely. now. Uh, incredible. And so tell me, just from a business perspective, uh, how does it work for you guys? Are you taking... Um, you know, a cut for rent? Are you, how does it, how does it work on that side? At Colette, we provide a lot of guarantees and um, services. Uh, we, we propose only trusted students and young active to senior. Uh, basically, they have nothing to do. Um, we, we do all the administrative and legal stuff for them. Uh, we, we guarantee all the payments of the rents. We take some fees, uh, up to 15% of each uh, monthly rent. And this is our business model. Super. And I guess just to kind of wrap up, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on essentially what I consider to be the co-living explosion. I feel like over the last few years, everybody has started talking about co-living. Um, I want to know your thoughts on like really why is that important for urban life? And what are some other innovations or areas that you think can still be improved um, in the housing and living, in living space? Mm. I think co-living today is really important um, for two reasons. The first one is um, for young people, it's really uh, complicated to access to affordable and good housing. Paris, for instance, the average price of a studio uh, for a student is around 900 euros per month for an average of 12 square meters. Um, it's super expensive. It's super hard to access this kind of uh, housing. And at the same time, we have more than 90,000 Parisians today who have a spare room at home. So it's, it's a complete nonsense. We really need to fill all these empty rooms. And I, I think our mission uh, at Colette is really to achieve like zero empty room in Paris and other cities too. But I don't know, maybe in five, two or five years, we will see. But um, this is really, I think, a urban challenge we, we want to solve because um, we really need to match all these, uh, these people and make them live together in the future. <laughs> I love that. I love that mission of zero empty rooms. A big part also of our mission is really to help senior people to age at their place in the best conditions possible because we will have more and more old people in France. In 2050, we will have one person out of three in France who will be above 60. So it's coming, like the, the challenge of longevity, it's coming. I think maybe it's already there. When you know that uh, loneliness and isolation at, at home can have the same negative impact on health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, aging at home, it's okay, but we need to do it in the best condition. So I think co-living with the students can be a solution, yes, for the future. Yeah, I think you guys have a really beautiful mission in that 
it's kind of really hitting two birds with one stone, helping the student like housing crisis, essentially, and also um, helping kind of uh, senior isolation, especially at a, at a difficult and very sensitive time in people's lives. So, Justine, I think it'll be great to catch up with you in a few months and hear some of the stories from the people living um, in your different communities. Thank you so much for being with us today. In the second part, we'll look at new housing solutions and experiences. Our guests are Barbara Belvisi and Thomas Altio. Barbara and Thomas, it's great to have you both with us. Thank you. Thank you. Barbara, I'm going to start with you. Um, so you're building housing on Mars, for Mars. What is it? Tell me, tell me exactly what you're doing. We're designing and building um, uh, what we call the regenerative and closed-loop station. Um, so it's actually a habitat combined with a food, water, and waste system. And it's designed both for the Earth first uh, and then for Mars. So we're focusing on this planet uh, for the 10 coming years uh, to be ready to have the system that we can put in the future on Mars. So these are actually going to be housing units one day on Mars. Yes, housing units on Mars and housing units on Earth as well. Okay, so you kind of answered the second question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm just curious. You said that you're starting with Earth, then you're moving to Mars, but they're still both kind of Mars-like experiences. Why address this as a problem? Don't we have enough problems on Earth? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, actually, the, the problems we are, I think we're facing on Earth is that we are developing standalone solution for food production, waste management, and water treatment. Um, and the way we need to design the systems to live on Mars, it needs to be fully integrated and completely autonomous, self-sustaining. So I'm taking this approach of designing system to live on another planet so we can design a system that we can apply on this planet because this is what we need right now on, on our planet. So it, it's basically using space technology and, and space approach to apply the same design to, to the Earth. Super interesting. And I'm going to come to Thomas in just a second, but I feel like he would agree with you on a lot of what you just said. But I'm curious... How is Mars tech or the Mars experience essentially different from anything that we would have here? Apart from um, the, uh, the atmospheric conditions that are very different, the gravity conditions that are very different, there is one thing that, that both planets uh, have in common is that they need um, uh, regenerative technology. So it means technology where we can produce the food, recycle the organic waste, and recycle the water. And so that's the common ground between the two planets. So this is how living on Mars can actually help us on Earth to understand a better way of living in harmony with nature and using technology to, to allow us basically to, you know, to close the loop and not having waste anymore and not polluting anymore. Super. So I think that leads us very nicely to what Thomas is building as well, because it has a lot of similarities. Um, maybe, Thomas, just to break it down for our listeners, compare a Maya Maya house to a regular house. What's different? Uh, what are people essentially saving when they're living in a Maya Maya house? Basically, we started with the Maya Maya living unit concept by imagining and designing the perfect house as, as we know it. And the, uh, the main advance that we've applied is the uh, off-grid capacity. So if we talk about self-autonomy in terms of energy and water production, the Maya Maya living units can operate in a full off-grid capacity, producing their own energy and water, and also recycling gray water from the units. We've 
kind of rethought all of the elements of a standard house in terms of, of, of building materials, the building method, the energy production, water production, and, uh, and so forth. Super. And I think another aspect that you guys do very differently, so obviously you've created kind of this new uh, experience and solution essentially to solve some of the um, the housing kind of issues that we have in terms of the waste they generate and stuff like that, but also with regards to fabrication. So in terms of how you're actually building these units, what's different? Our units, uh, they're fully built out of wood, a very high quality building material and a renewable natural resource. And then we also apply the uh, prefabrication method where you can prefabricate the units in a factory and then limit the on-site building part uh, just to a few days. So you just do an on-site assembly with the, with the prefabricated elements. We can minimize uh, regular building times of, of a couple of months into, into just uh, two or three days. Wow, that's super impressive. Sounds like printing a, a housing unit, essentially. Um... So I think yeah, the printing they already do it in they're already in China. Yeah. They're, they're they're starting. Haven't seen it on the on the market yet, but uh, but I've heard rumors. Good. Well, I think both of you are essentially building your first villages or stations or I don't know what we're gonna call them. Um, and for both of what you guys are doing, I imagine a like weird Burning Man like experience, which is maybe you know very tech of me. Um, but what is it actually gonna be like? What are these two kind of universe is going to be like so barbara i want to start with you um so 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 basically so in in the in the building uh, in the building way uh we having a, a, a different approach but the same goal uh than uh, uh than thomas so on our side we use foldable um uh, 3d uh, Part is 3D printed and another one is just a metallic structure with inflatable membrane. So it's very, very easy to deploy. Uh, and then in terms of the experiment that people are going to live inside the, the housing, inside the housing uh, section, um, it's very, very immersive. Um, so you find a lot of nature. So the, the specificity of the system that we're building is that we're combining a cutting edge uh, hardware solution uh, with a lot of plants, uh, aeroponic and greenhouse systems. And so for people living inside our habitats, so there, it's a combination of different domes and you're very, very in touch with nature, but at the same time, disconnected with the outside world uh, because the air you're breathing, the food you're eating, the water you're drinking is only coming from the station. So it's a very, it's, a, it's actually, it's a confined environment and, and uh, making a link with the, the current crisis that we are actually going through. But we're trying to make people feel as if they were not confined. So, so recreating this feeling of being on, a, on, on Earth inside domes, basically. Super. I love it. I'm kind of getting this like very relaxed feeling just listening <laughs> to you talk about it. Um, and even just looking at some of the, I think there's some images that I've seen kind of like floating around online. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a very organic shape, like exactly. kind of rounder forms, right? Exactly. So it's very futuristic, um, but at the same time, very futuristic, but very easy to build using super durable material and, and allowing actually really nature and plants to, to, live, uh, to live freely inside the system. Um, it's uh, trying to recreate our planet in a, in a closed environment. Super. Thomas, how does that compare to what you guys are building? So I can take the concrete example of the first project that we are currently building. 
and it will be out and launched in just uh, two weeks' time, which is a uh, village settlement in, in Helsinki in Finland. And we collaborate on this project with the, with the city of Helsinki, who's our landlord and, and being a very helpful partner throughout the, uh, the process. And so this village is located in a, in a natural environment, which is very easily accessible from the city. So it's just 20 minutes bike ride from the city. It's a sea view location, so like a natural reserve with a, with a sea view. You can arrive there by bike. And we are installing five Maya Maya units there on the shore of the, um, of the property. And in terms of visual imagery, it's actually something very close. You know, people can imagine small scale wooden huts that you might see up in the mountains or in, in very remote locations in, in, in islands. If you, especially if you go up north and so forth. But these units come with a modern comfort. So, so you have energy and clean water and all the appliances that, that you might need. So in that sense, in terms of visual image, it's something timeless, something that people have, have already seen. But the things that they don't see is the technology part that allow them to live off the grid and in, in full autonomy in terms of energy and water. So in this sense, we're... You know, we're just a, a, a one concrete step further away what people have seen already, but with a lot of magic inside. Super. Yeah, we actually had one of the units at Station F uh, last summer. And so I think you're exactly right. It looks very much like a wood kind of small cabin. And I think uh, I remember when you had been showing me the unit, you mentioned a lot about kind of the the finished design and some of the different elements, you know, like the toilet and the where we get the water from, the sink and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of it you had mentioned to me at the time was kind of finished designed, uh, which was very, very cool. Um, and I'm wondering now, because you guys, I mean, these are both obviously super sexy sounding projects, but business wise, what's the actual demand or like the practical need or application for these? Thomas, tell us. We do the, the first, say, larger scale commercial pilot for us after doing these kind of demonstrations that we had at Station F last year. So this is going to be for short-term rental purposes. So it's at the same time going to be a local slow travel option of, for the local Helsinki people and then also like international eco-travel destination. And this is something that allows us to do this kind of example project that will stay open for people people to visit and, and, and discover. We're in a uh, rental business with our local operator partners. So then on the second hand, this is an example project for, for the concept that have other applications also in terms of urban building and, and, and so forth. So this is kind of the first, first pilot to show how it, how it works in a beautiful natural environment. And then the next step, and this is something that we might have some news to say later on this year about the urban applications but this is to show the first concrete example how to how to live on these units and on a short-term rental basis super barbara how is uh how is this business-wise for you guys yeah so 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 we are a little bit uh, uh, younger than maya maya so we, uh, we don't have uh, the prototype found the demonstrator yet to have people coming in and testing it uh, but we're getting ready. It was planned initially at the end of this year, but unfortunately with the current crisis, it's a little bit delayed, but it's going to be early 2021, so very soon. Uh, so business model-wise, we have two approaches. So the thing, the thing is that the system that we're building requires 
it requires a lot of uh, data and optimization. Because So we're doing something that is very unique, is that we're completely closing the loops on the air side, on the food, on the water, on the waste, and integrating all the system. And, and, and as I said before, right now, existing solutions are very standalone, but all of those three systems, food, water, and waste, are not integrated. So that's what we're doing. To be able to optimize the system and to reach a complete closure, uh, it will take us some time. Uh, but, but the strategy of the company was not to do 10 years of R&D and then come up with a product on the market. It was to go straight away uh, with the building a product and then having people coming in. Basically, we're going we got, we're gonna to have a hospitality play, hospitality play at the beginning. So we're putting station with different partners. We have NASA, we're talking with Saudi Arabia, we're talking with the European Commission. And so we're, building the, we're going to build the station and have people coming inside. So we're going to sell weekly stay, super immersive. You go there, you spend time with scientists, with astronauts, you can register for astronaut training uh, session. Um, and then we'll use, we'll use both the money from the stay to finance the iteration on technology and getting towards more affordable solution. And at the same time, we'll use the data to improve the system. What we're planning is that after the construction of the first station, it will take us between three to five years to iterate on the system. And then we'll be able to send turnkey standalone solution. So anyone who wants to plug in into their village into or build a station or into their habitat, our food, water and waste system will be able directly to, to buy it. And that's the same way we envision the partnership with NASA and other aerospace agency. It's just that there will be customers for us they're going to you know, bias our system that we're going to custom a little bit depending on the climatic and environmental constraint. Uh, but, th but that's the vision. First, hospitality and we rent the places and then we'll directly sell the solutions for people to buy, to buy them. Super. How much would a night uh, on Mars cost me? Um, so, so there are going to be two pricing, a pricing for the general public, which will be more full, inclusive, one week stay will be around 3000 um, and so, which is very close to if you want to stay in an eco lodge in Costa Rica and do a yoga retreat and only eat farm, you know, a, a, a farm to table food, that's basically what it's going to cost you. So we're pretty much in the, you know, um, adventure and, and, and uh, adventure uh, hospitality. Then for scientists and astronauts, it's a little bit more expensive. It's going to be around 12,000 a week because uh, they can access the data, the platform. They can work with our software and, and all the intelligence we build inside the station. Um, so, um, so, yeah, Super. for the price. Very cool. Thomas, how much does it cost me uh, a night in a fully autonomous uh, little log cabin in, in Finland? We're starting this test, uh, test season, actually, where we're inviting different enthusiasts from, uh, from our networks to be the test users of the solution. So we can all, always discuss about that uh, after the show. But, uh, but yeah, regular night in, in one unit. We're, we're close to the, the market prices for local design hotels, which is uh, from 200 to, to 350 euros per night. So that's the price range that we are, we are starting with Great. as well. So, so yeah, pretty accessible. Super. Well, both of you are working in some ways in a very similar space and your projects are also at the same time extremely different. I'm interested just to hear from each of you, what kind of strikes you about the other person's project? Barbara, what do you what do you find kind of surprising or interesting in, in what Thomas is working on? Um, so so the, the thing that is funny is that the, the first day we moved into Station F, um, so at the time it was, uh, I think it was a year ago, and I was, uh, I was uh, alone and having, uh, so no team in Paris, everybody was in LA. 
now we are 10 at station <laughs> um and so when we arrived i i i loved uh, i love the uh, straight maya maya uh the demonstrator was actually uh, uh, at station f um and and it was very similar approach very different design very for very different technology but very similar approach uh, i love the way they completely integrated the 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 water system with the energy production uh, i think those are two key elements that that we really need to integrate in new building right now before adding the waste before adding the food production uh the water the water uh, you know closing the water loop inside the habitats is uh, it's it's unbelievable that it's not done yet in our housing system on earth so i was really glad to see that there was a company focusing on that and 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 you know putting a solution together and ready to to install them super and thomas how about same question for you but I don't know how much you've been able to see already of uh, of what Barbara is building, but even just from listening to her today, kind of describe the experience that she's building. What are what are your thoughts on what's really the most surprising or interesting in that project? Well, I what I find really fascinating about it, and we had we had a really a great conversation about this the the day that we met at Station F with yeah. Barbara. Yeah. Is the uh, uh, I would say is the is the vision like the really really big vision that they they have? You know, if she. Talk about going to, to Mars and being inspired from from this research approach, and then actually developing something to, to be used on Earth. So that's like it takes things to a, to a, to another universe, in like very concretely uh, compared to us, where we are, you know, well, you know, like a very pragmatic uh, team of architects and, and and engineers, and and for example, the concept developer architect, uh, Finnish architect Pekka Litov, you know, he has a background of working 30 years with wooden buildings on earth. And, and in that sense, our imagery is kind of stuck on earth, so, so, so to say. And, uh, but yeah, using this kind of vision that takes take things really, really far and then coming back to a, a, a concrete, concrete built environment context on earth, I, I think that's, that's like a you know, it's, it's, it sounds so crazy that it's 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 you know there ha- there has to be something something about it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah, the vision and the kind of the craziness is just so appealing. Um, and I think both of you, what you're doing is going to make a huge cultural dent uh, in consumption and and the way people live. And I think I want to end on this note. I'd love to hear from both of you. What do you think is really the biggest challenge? Uh, facing the way people live today. Um, and so, Barbara, I think I'm going to start with you because we just talked about craziness and vision. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest uh, biggest challenge? I think it's... it's um, it, the responsibility is not only on the consumer side because uh, there is a big um, um, big awareness. A big, you know, people are getting much more conscious uh, of their impact in the environment a lot of people are changing the way they're living. And I think even more with the crisis we, we're going through right now, uh, people realize how, you know, the way they consume their waste, the, 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 where the food is coming from has, has become very, very important. Uh, but the point is not only on people to change their behavior. Um, the, 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 biggest, the biggest figure that completely struck me during, during this confinement crisis was actually that the, the level of um, uh, CO2 emission only dropped very, very, very little during the confinement. And we were using no cars. There was no planes. So, so we assumed that transportation was actually one of the main industries that was producing most of the 
CO2 that was released in our atmosphere. But the, the biggest challenge we're facing right now is actually in, in buildings and in using electricity. So, And it's not about people to change their consumption habits. It's about the global infrastructure all, all around this planet to be completely you know, completely re redefined and recreated. We need to, to implement new ways of building, you know, habitats and housing. And, and that's something that needs to come at a very high level, political level, and a huge industry shift that needs to happen in the 10 coming years. So, so, so yeah, I'm very optimistic. I think this is something we can do. And actually the fact that people have more and more awareness, it's going to help big infrastructure completely change. Uh, but, but we need politician and big industry to, to make a huge, huge shift in the, in the way we're developing uh, habitat and, uh, and uh, electricity. Super interesting. I think, yeah, you, you kind of hit it on the head. A lot of people, I think, had that same shock, but I don't know that a lot of people saw that same opportunity that you just mm -hmm. identified. Um, Thomas, tell us, what do you think is the biggest uh, challenge? <sighs> Well, I would, I would, I, I would come, or, or Maya, Maya would have a very, I would say, like a small scale or grassroots uh, answer to this question. Uh, to give you like a global picture with a key date, I would point out uh, what we call the uh, Earth Overshoot Day, which is actually this year coming up, mm -hmm. uh, the twenty second of August, and in just in just three weeks' time, which is the date when human demand for Earth Earth ecological resources exceed what the planet can actually regenerate and not only you know we talk about carbon footprint but also forest reserves food uh, clean water and other elements so this is this is kind of an overall approach for the the current unsustainability in resource consumption by the human being and then the maya maya answer the crash answer to that is actually bringing the the resource production very close to the uh, to the human being, to the end user, as you know, somebody would say. But we we say very close to the human being, and make make the human being understand where does the the energy come from, where does the water come from? It it comes from the tap, it's come from the the electricity plug, but actually, where does it concretely come from? And that that's a way to to make the human being responsible for for its use to you know by telling them human being is, is you know it's an intelligent species so by telling them okay you have a limited amount of energy in use because you're producing it self-sufficiently you have a limited amount of water which is and you actually have to be aware how to use your water because it will be recycled and reused by yourself so you don't want to put all kind of dirt into into, into your water because it doesn't belong there and this kind of Kind of taking, you know, shortening the distance between the uh, the resource use and the actual resource consumption. That's that's a very concrete key element that we are, you know, we are aiming to show for for human beings with the Maya Maya concept, and then that can also serve as an example for a larger uh, cultural, you know, consciousness uh, shift or reveal among human beings. Super. I find it fascinating that you both kind of addressed almost the same issue, but from totally different angles. Um, but clearly we can see that there's a huge, uh, huge issue with sustainability and, and resources. Um, I want to thank you both so much for taking part in this today. Uh, Barbara and Thomas, thank you guys both. Thank you, Roxanne.
All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or if you want to suggest a topic or a speaker, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on our next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right. See you soon.